What's up, guys? Welcome back to Between the Yards, where we're covering every sport from Camden Yards all the way down to the Navy Yard. Uh, even though in this episode we're not going to talk a ton about anything going on locally, there's just not a lot going on between the I-95 corridor right now. So uh, we're going to talk NFL because NFL is still king. We're going to talk post-combine. We're going to talk the new league year franchise tags. Um, we're going to talk about the Calvin Ridley suspension. That was hot today. Uh, and then we're going to talk some NBA. We're going to talk risers, fallers. We're going to talk about, um, you know, the current stars in the game. And then we're going to uh, transition to March Madness. We're going to talk about the conference tournaments this week. Uh, small schools going on right now. Uh, big conferences are later in the week. And, and then then we're on to Selection Sunday and the big dance. So stay tuned. we got a good show. And uh, take it away, Wiz. Washington's on your side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have everybody on your side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have Washington's by your side. It must be nice. It must be nice. Okay, so jumping right in, it is Tuesday, March 8th. And that means it's uh, franchise tag deadline day in the NFL. Um, we've got a lot going on as far as uh, the combines finishing up. You've got all your pre-draft talk. We're going to, you know, uh, after franchise tags, you know, get slapped on some guys today, then uh, you can start talking about re-signings. I believe the the uh, free agent negotiation period starts, might be Sunday, um, and then you've basically got 48 hours and then the new league year starts and it is um, pretty much a free-for-all. I guess that free-for-all really starts with a free agent negotiation, but this week's going to be a lot of re-signings. There's going to be some guys that get scooped up that, uh, you know, you thought were going to be on the market for free agency. So um, big week in the NFL, even though literally nothing's going on, if that makes sense. It's all going to be contracts, all going to be speculation, all going to be evaluating um, the rookies and, and who's going to be drafted. So, uh, you know, I – I, for one, um, I'm team uh, combine doesn't matter for the most part. I mean, uh, I've kind of gotten fatigued over the last few days just hearing about everybody's 40 times. What do you think this guy's going to do at the combine? What do you think this guy's going to do at the combine? Let's show a clip of Malik Willis, like throwing the ball, you know, 50 yards on air. That's great. That's great. I'm just not sure what we see at the NFL combine that I can't get from tape, right? Like you can talk about, um, you can talk about somebody's, you know, raw speed, but you can get that on tape. You know, a guy like uh, Chris Olave from, from Ohio state, I think he had like the second or third highest uh, unofficial 40 time. And then of course the official 40 times, everything kind of gets screwed up, but still he, he blew it out of the water for the 40, right? Do we not know that Alave was one of the fastest receivers coming into this draft? Like, I don't know if you were to ask me off the top of my head, I'd say it's Jameson Williams, who didn't run, obviously, because of his injury in the college football playoff, and then Chris Alave from Ohio State. I mean, this stuff isn't rocket science, guys. Like, yeah, they're going to be freak athletes. 
they're going to the NFL. Of course, they're going to be freak athletes. Um, I, I, I just, I just don't know that there is a ton of stock that you should put in the combine. But I think everybody between, you know, so-called experts to scouts to fans, we all put this like crazy amount into the combine when it just, it just shouldn't matter. Like, I don't know where everybody fits in as far as, you know, records and things. Because quite frankly, like I said, I, I see, I, I pay attention to some things on Twitter, some things on social media, um, you know, the headlines from the, from the combine. But over the years, it just proved that it does not matter. There was a graphic that came out the top 10, 40 times since 2006, which I guess is what, you know, they're calling like the authentic timing or whatever. I guess it's the modern era of the combine with computers and all of that. But um, the only guy on that list was Chris Johnson that even had a remotely successful NFL career. Speed kills, absolutely. But, you know, <clears throat> a guy like a guy like Tyree Kill, who most of you guys know I don't like, but like he didn't even he didn't even run at the combine. Small school guy, fifth round, and look at him now. Like, yeah, speed kills. You gotta have some other things in the tank. You probably have to have a good play caller to get you the football. You gotta have the hands, you gotta have the route running. You have to know how to break down a zone defense. Like, why why can't we see this stuff on film? Right? There are some guys with injury problems that get um, that don't do the combine because, for obvious reasons, you got to get healthy to be on the field, so you don't do the combine. But you know, there are other guys that just don't care. Like, I, I mean, Orlando Brown, who just got franchise tagged today, three straight Pro Bowls, uh, been a part of, I'd say, out of his five, four, I guess it's a four-year career now, he's been a part of a top five offensive line in each in each one of his years, right? He ran a six flat in the 40. He was the last place amongst uh, offensive linemen in the bench press. And he falls to the third round, and it's an absolute steal for the Ravens. But, you know, then, then you trade him, and now he's in line for franchise tag, a giant contract from the Chiefs. A guy like Christian McCaffrey, you know, uh, less than 10 reps on the bench press. And he's one of the best athletes in the NFL, period, point blank. You know, you look at some of this stuff and it just it just doesn't seem to matter, right? You know, everybody went crazy about uh, Jordan Davis, as they should. That's a big, big man, and him moving 4-7 is crazy. Um, does that change what I think about Jordan Davis as a football player? No. Does it make him a top five pick? No. Like he killed it in every aspect of the combine. Most of the most of the Georgia guys did. I think that's a testament to their strength and conditioning program. But that's another story. Um, but if if you cut the Jordan Davis tape on, you see it. He is extremely athletic for his size. He's extremely athletic. Period. But for his size, he does things that guys shouldn't be able to do. Um, a play from the national championship uh, sticks in my head. He basically sheds a block and moves laterally with the running back, makes the TFL. Like a 6'6", 340-pound guy shouldn't have the mobility to do that, but I can cut on the tape and I can see that. No. Jordan Davis is never, ever, ever going to run 40 yards full sprint in the NFL. His get-off is important, absolutely. 
But again, you can see that on film. These, this like need to put a number on everything really sucks. I don't love it. I don't love that. Um, there's some, there's just, you know, case after case, right? You can make the case either way if you really wanted to. Um, you can say that, uh, you know, Calvin Johnson was an absolute freak when he was at the combine, obviously. But did that change? Like, he was always going to be a top five pick, right? Um, a guy like Vernon Davis showed out. Was he, Should he have been the, the, you know, number six pick in that draft? Maybe. He was a very solid NFL tight end for a long, long time. And up until Kyle Pitts was drafted, he was the highest selected tight end of all time. But like I said, a guy like Orlando Brown, Christian McCaffrey, um, Vontez Perfect ran the 40-yard dash in 5.09 seconds. I think that's more a testament to his attitude, right? But, like, it just it just doesn't matter. Hand size, right? We talk about hand size for quarterbacks. I get the practicality of it. I think we all understand the practicality of hand size, right? You don't want the football slipping out of your hands, and obviously you don't want the turnovers. But a guy like Darius Hayward Bay, he ran a 4-2-5 in the 40. And Al Davis selected him with the seventh or eighth pick. Why? Anybody who watched Maryland football knew that he dusted everybody that we played that year. But why'd you pick him seventh or eighth overall? It doesn't make any sense. The guys that were absolute physical freaks that were going to succeed in the NFL, Deion Sanders, uh, you know, a Bo Jackson until his injury. Like, you knew these guys were going to be good before they showed out at the Combine. There's more people that show out at the combine, end up getting drafted, and then don't do anything. Then there are guys that show up, wow us at the combine, and then we're like, oh, man, like, he was a stud on film. Like, we didn't expect this. Like, no shit, you expected it. And then I think there are poor performances at the combine, and they kind of get thrown out. Guys don't run the 40 all the time because they know their 40 sucks, and they don't want their draft stock to fall, but you know they can ball. So you draft them anyway. I think these guys, you know, uh, plummeting or or skyrocketing, you know, up and down draft boards, it's silly to me, um, which, you know, again, teach their own, right? You want to put a you want to put a number on the metrics. If you're a big weight room guy and you want to watch because you enjoy that kind of stuff, fine. I enjoy watching physical freaks, obviously, because I enjoy sports, but the combine is just so unrealistic. There's not a ton of stuff going on, even the even the on-field drills, they're, they're drills, right? They're drills. Everything's different when you put the pads on, you're between, you're between the lines. It, it just is a matter of fact. Like I said um, in the intro, there's a clip of, of Malik Day, or Malik Willis sorry, um, throwing an absolute bomb. He's throwing the bomb on air, which fair. You know, no pads, right? Still impressive. Let's see him do it you know, between the lines. Let's cut on some film. Can he hit that deep ball in the game? Did he hit those deep balls in the game? I didn't watch a ton of Liberty football. I should probably watch more of his tape, but the Ravens don't need a quarterback, so I'm not really invested in the in the quarterback scene right now. Um, Washington, they need a quarterback, but, you know, I think uh, if, a, if, you know, a Matt Corral is there, I think he's the guy. But, um, again, Malik Willis, Great potential. He, he he could very well be the 
the next Lamar Jackson for all I know. It could be a couple of great playmakers here and <clears throat> in the DMV, but again, uh, the whole the whole combine, the weekend, it's it's like it's like we just need something to talk about, right? NBA's middle of the season, you're not quite to March Madness yet. You want something to talk about. So, you talk about, "Oh my god, Jordan Davis ran a 478. Amazing." Cool. Let's watch that clip of the big man moving. But it's not going to drastically shake up my draft board. It, you know, a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, they say there's some uh, clowny in him as far as like a work ethic, a motor, right? You can't tell that unless you cut on the tape. He can be a physical freak. Pretty sure clowny crushed it. And um, I don't know. I didn't even see anything from Thibodeau in the combine. Like I said, I didn't watch the eight hours of the combine on a Saturday. There was college basketball on. Sorry about it. Um, so cool. I, I guess I'll look at the metrics. You'll hear about the pro days for the next whatever, how many weeks. I think I saw – I heard something. It's like 52 days to the NFL draft. Great. I can't wait. Let's speed through this shit because I'm I'm done with the pre-draft process. We, we, we overanalyze everything so much when, uh, truth be told, I don't know, sometimes I think the best mocks come out the day after the college football season because everything's fresh in our brains. The all 22 is fresh in our brains. So, you know, moving on, um, I'm glad we're kind of done with this. It's going to get all drowned out by free agency franchise tags, which brings me to my next point. Um, The franchise tag deadline today, and there were three franchise tags given out today, which I always find the franchise tags interesting. It's kind of like a, Sometimes you get the, let me tag this guy in hopes we sign him to a long-term deal. Let me tag this guy because we need him or we feel like we need him. But um, you just get, I, I don't know. Some uh, Today there were two that made a ton of sense, and there was one that left my, my, my head scratching. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Orlando Brown caught the tag. That was uh, a no-brainer, right? The Chiefs weren't going to give the Ravens a first-round pick just for a rental of Orlando Brown and let him walk into free agency. Um, He's their left tackle. I think he's their left tackle of the future. I think this is a great example of, okay, tag him, pay him like a top-five guy, then extend him because that's what he wants. He wants that long-term deal. So do that. It sucks he's going to be on the Chiefs for a long time, but that's the way it is. Um, The Bengals tagged Jesse Bates. Great great tag in my opinion I think they um I think they were gonna lose like three quarters of their secondary um some might say Eli Apple's not that big of a loss but I digress um and and Jesse Bates great player for them he arguably over the past over the course of the past four years I think he's been the best Bengal like he's been consistent produces every year uh low-key locks down the back of that defense he gets a franchise tag that's well-deserved. They should lock him up for a long time, too. Keeps him off the safety market, fingers crossed, for the Ravens. Um, and then you have the Browns. All-time Browns move. They um, they tag David Njoku, which means David Njoku is going to get paid like a top-five tight end next year. That makes no sense. He's not even top 15 if uh, – if, you really think about it. Why you're tagging a guy like Njoku makes 
no sense. Um, the reports say that there's a good chance, you, you know, they get a contract extension. So maybe it was just security that, that he doesn't leave. But um, yeah, that's a, it's a total Browns move. I know they have the cap space and everything, but paying a guy who's not even close to top five, paying him top five money makes no sense when you, when, I don't know, the, the Browns have a ton of talent on that roster. They're all very young, but with the way their season went, I, you could take that money and spend it elsewhere. I mean, and and then rumors came out today that uh, the Cowboys and the Dolphins are thinking about tagging Dalton Schultz and, and Mike Gesicki. And again, I've got to ask why. You don't think you can find another 6'5", 6'6", white guy? I mean, I guess Mike McDonald wants to make Gesicki like the next George Kittle, but... Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't block like Kittle. I guess he can catch, he can run the routes. He can line up in the slot. Fine. Um, Dalton Schultz. I don't know. They've kind of had a revolving door at tight end in Dallas since Jason Witten left. And I don't think they're necessarily hurting. I think Schultz had a great year. I think a guy like Blake Jarwin could have a great year if you let him. Um, I think you can, like I said, you can draft another six, five white guy. He'll do just fine. I mean, it's that offense. Mike McCarthy's tight ends have always produced, going all the way back to like a was Bubba Frank still on Green Bay in 2010 when they won that title, or like the late, I guess the late Favre years, early Rogers years, like um, JerMichael Finley, Richard Rogers. Everybody's like, pay these guys, pay these guys. When it's really the quarterback in the system, I think that's silly. I, I, I mean. If they tag him tomorrow, like I said, that would be another that bad. Fran, bad franchises make bad moves. That's a tagging a tight end is a bad franchise move unless you have a Travis Kelsey, a Mark Andrews, George Kittle, maybe throwing a Darren Waller if you'd like, maybe throwing a Kyle Pitts in a few years, but it, it, that that makes no sense. Um, a few other candidates I I, I was reading up on. Um, Chris Godwin, everyone says the the Bucks are are tagging him, which I think is a good move. Um, right now, that that offensive locker room is is Mike Evans and nobody else. Um, Ryan Jensen's a free agent. Um, Marpet, the D three standout, he retired. Good for him. Um, like six seven years in the league, uh, a couple Pro Bowls. I don't know if he made an All Pro team, but won a ring, retired, got out healthy. Good for him. Um, so it'll be Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I don't know if Leonard Fournette goes back there because uh, Tom retired. So I don't know. Is he going to go somewhere else? Who knows? Got to get a quarterback there. But um, Mike Williams, uh, Chargers, I think that'd be a good move for the Chargers. I don't I don't know if I'd pay him, you know, top five, top 15% money or whatever the case may be. Uh, Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones would be an interesting candidate. I mean, he is still producing at a high level. I think he he's obviously north of 30 now, but dude's a freak. I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, Devontae Adams, he's probably the number one candidate. He probably should get the franchise tag to keep Aaron Rodgers around, um, and he deserves the money. He's a, a great receiver, top two, top three guy, year in, year out, whether that's whether that's because of Rodgers, that's neither here nor there, but you pay that guy. Um, he's led the league in touchdowns. So uh, franchise tags are always interesting. Um, this week also will be a lot of 
uh, cap casualties. It'll be a lot of, uh, like I said before, re-signing. So some guys might you might get some guys at a discount. They might not hit the open market. Like people say they will, but um, Zadarius Smith was cut today. Kyle Van Noy was cut today amongst, amongst quite a few other people. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see kind of what goes down this week. There's some, there was some trade talk today too. Obviously, you know, you want to get some contracts off the books before free agency or, you know, come to terms essentially because everything will go live that first day of the new new league year. But um, one trade that came up was uh, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the Panthers are seeking a first rounder and then some. Um, and I think that makes sense for some teams. I think McCaffrey's uh, – uh, Obviously, he's a top, I don't know, call it what you want, top five, top ten weapon as far as, as that goes, as long as he's healthy and can stay on the field. Um, if, you get a, if you get a team that can either control his workload or just, you know, keep the guy healthy, um, I think it's worth it. He's a game changer. If you're really struggling for playmakers surrounding a quarterback or an offensive line, I don't know, maybe you're a late first-round team. I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. But for the Panthers, I think it's a great move. I don't think that a healthy Christian McCaffrey makes you a playoff team. You need a quarterback. You need an offensive line. Um, they have the sixth pick, eighth pick, question mark. Um, one of the two. So if you you trade Christian McCaffrey, you get another first rounder. You get your quarterback, right? With that first, maybe, maybe you wait now because you have two first round picks. You pick best player available. Um, they had a pretty good defense, uh, low key last year. Their, their secondary was really, really good, especially before JC Horn went down, who, um, was obviously out for the season. So you get him back too. So if you trade Christian McCaffrey, you kind of get an influx of three first round guys with Horn coming back. And then, I mean, Christian McCaffrey's great. Don't get me wrong. Again, you have in the NFL today. Running backs are not valued at a premium anymore. If you have a, a playmaker there, it's great, but they can't be your only playmaker. Um, you trade Christian McCaffrey, you get another first-round pick, you lock down a quarterback, maybe you grab an offensive lineman to protect that quarterback, you insert J.C. Horn back in that defense. I mean, what's to stop you from grabbing a, a Zamir White, a James Cook, a um, – Hassan Haskins late in the draft, all those guys were, were studs in college, and you've got a, a Chuba Hubbard already. He's he's you know going to go into his second year, so you grab one of those top guys from college who aren't projected until like the fourth through sixth rounds for those guys. Which again, sometimes these projections just don't make sense to me. But again, running backs aren't valued like they used to be. You grab a guy late, you put him in to an offense where you're going to have a young quarterback anyway. You've got a DJ Moore. You've got a Robbie Anderson. They, they probably need to add some weapons there, but at, at the end of the day, you can't do anything unless you protect the quarterback. So um, I don't know. I, I'm team trade McCaffrey and load up on these first-round picks, get a running back, the, you know, fourth round, insert him with, with Chuba Hubbard and a running back by committee and focus on the rest of the team and build it up and, 
those guys have high ceilings, right? Low risk, high ceilings. Um, and with a guy like McCaffrey, who hasn't played the better part of two years anyway, you can get a first rounder, do it. Um, I think at some point, maybe if you get, if you can even get like an early to mid second rounder, I'd, I'd probably do it with, you know, some extra picks behind it. But um, I'm team trade McCaffrey. When that news came out, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Panthers. I, I don't know who would bite on that trade, but I've, I've got a feeling somebody would. Like I said, he's a top 5, 10 playmaker in the league. You insert him to a competent offense, and he's going to be a game-breaker, as he should be. Um, another trade that got reported before the bigger news surrounding this player, um, Calvin Ridley, there was some interest from New England and the Browns. Okay, cool, fine. That that would make a lot of sense. And then uh, Calvin Ridley got suspended for one year for uh, gambling while he was on his mental health hiatus last year. There's been a lot surrounding this today. Did he throw together a few parlays while he was in Florida on his cell phone? Did he also did he include the Falcons to win in all three? Check yes for all those boxes, but. There's a bigger, there's a bigger play here, and and people are talking about, um, you know, the NFL advertising gambling everywhere. Yeah, because it's going to be a huge money maker. However, you have to maintain the integrity of the league. Period. Um, the same people that are that are complaining about, you know, him getting all these games and and the NFL spending all this money on gambling advertising are the same people who are going to tell you the NFL's fixed and, and going to tell you that oh they they had that corner blow that blow that coverage and make it a close game whatever like put that Vegas spin on it so you know it, it happens right for every line that is super close every week there's a line that's completely wrong so just throw that out the window too like the, at the end of the day the NFL has to maintain the integrity of these games they have to maintain the competitive integrity refs should not be able to gamble Players should not be able to gamble, period. Whether they're active practice squad or taking a mental health hiatus, they should not be able to gamble on NFL games. Calvin Ridley could have placed a 3, a 5, and an 18 parlay on college football the day before the NFL that week. There was no reason he had to bet on the NFL, but he just did. You know why? Probably because he felt that he had an advantage. He could have texted a few of his buddies. We don't know. We don't know who he bet on. But he could have texted a, a couple of his buddies. Hey, man, how's that ankle feel for this week? That's a big That's a big thing. And Calvin Ridley's got a lot of NFL buddies. He went to Alabama. So, no, he shouldn't be able to gamble. Is the one-year suspension warranted? I think absolutely. I think that's harsh enough, but not harsh to the point of a Pete Rose. That's a different story with Major League Baseball just being out of touch. But, like, Pete Rose just bet, for those of you that don't know, if you don't know, Pete Rose bet on his team to win all the time. That was it. But, no, guys should not be able to bet on the games, especially against themselves. If you want to bet on yourself, I mean, fine. But, at the end of the day... Let's maintain the competitive integrity of the league. Let's let's do that. And then my last point, for everyone comparing this to the domestic violence 
um, suspensions, I do agree uh, to a point. I don't think that Ridley's suspension should be lowered. I think that domestic violence should be increased, obviously. Um, I think that that is a completely different topic. And I think, you know, you kind of open Pandora's box there when you start to discuss it. But you walk a fine line. There's the legal issues. There is the where the charges dropped. Will people talk to the NFL now because the charges were dropped? Probably because they got a nice payout in civil court. It's a multi-layered thing, and the NFL will conduct, you know, their investigations, but at the very least, especially if there's video evidence of the best example, obviously, is a Ray Rice. Um, you also have a uh, Joe Mixon, who, I mean, he missed a big payday, I guess, like during the draft process, but then there was no, there was nothing like literally just was allowed to play. Um, a Tyreek Hill, like his broke his kid's arm, stuff like that. I mean, it is what it is, but yes, those suspensions should be higher, but I think the Calvin Ridley suspension is, is just where it should be. He, he came out. I'm sure you guys have seen it. He came out, he tweeted, um, he only lost $1,500. He doesn't have a gambling problem. Yeah, well, in in that case, sure. Sure, Calvin, you're right. You don't have a gambling problem, but you place those $1,500 in bets. We don't know if you got paid out because we don't know if you won. But if you did win but broke the NFL rules, do you not get paid out? Plus, you get suspended, and you're due $11.1 million this year. So for a few parlays, you lost $11 million. No, I guess maybe not a problem. Maybe I guess you call that a wake-up call, but it's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's awfully silly. I also think, um, to the point of, of these guys shouldn't be able to gamble, it's a slippery slope. This news didn't come out. He bet this stuff in late November. It's early March. That's like five months, four months, I guess. That's not okay. Like, you, you have a guy who's just like backup left tackle practice squad, like knows a guy isn't playing on Sunday and just bets all season. And maybe he's not a, he's not like a well-known name. I just out of speculation, like this got reported by the gambling company, probably because they recognized Calvin Ridley's name during like tax time while they were putting out these tax documents that you actually have to put out. Um, so you recognize a Calvin Ridley and then you're like, Oh wait, let's run his social security. And then it's like, Oh, this is the actual Calvin Ridley. But like I said, some backup left tackle might be using FanDuel in Arizona and we don't know about it. And that's not okay. You gotta, I mean, sure. Is he maybe winning? You know, he's not fixing the games. He's winning a lot of money, but, He's got an unfair advantage to win this, to win the money. And then, like, what if the starting left tackle goes in and he put money on the Packers plus seven and they're facing the Packers? Like, at that point, he he did that in an effort because he thought the Packers would cover the seven points. But if he goes in for that starting left tackle who came out, like, who's to say he doesn't let the defensive end run wild on the quarterback – and win this game. Again, that that's a different conversation about throwing the games, but 
But no, Calvin Ridley should not have been able to bet on these games, just point blank. You can't bet on the games. You can't bet on yourself. The gambling apps have no way of regulating that. No one has any way of regulating that. Like, it was a stupid thing. He got caught. He deserves a suspension, whether you think so or not. Like, it it happened. It sucks for him. Like, he said he didn't want to be around football and bet on football. So, whatever, man. Like, you got it. But either way, I'm really excited about, um, you know, these next couple of weeks of of free agency. I'm excited to see what the Ravens do. Excited to see what um, Washington does, for that matter, going into uh, the draft. And uh, we're going to watch mock drafts change drastically because free agency does that. The Ravens need five positions right now. At that 14th pick, by the end of free agency, it'll be a lot less, in my opinion. I think, you know, you sign a you sign a safety, you sign a center, you sign, you know, if you sign a center, then then you're looking like a people are talking about a Tyler Lindenba- Lindenbaum. We trade back for Lindenbaum. Um but if you sign a center, that you we don't need that. So really excited to see all the scenarios, how they play out, see who we keep, see who we cut, see what happens. That's uh, that's the beauty of it. So um, when we come back, we're going to uh, talk some NBA. Okay, so I want to talk some NBA. Um, I'm having a really good time watching the NBA this year, uh, even though the Wizards are – currently sitting at that like uh i think they're around the 11 right now in the east but uh you know beal went down and, and made some trades and things that i didn't necessarily hate um poor Zengis came in the other night he had 25 in like 21 minutes which um not a bad start they're playing the, the they were playing the tanking pacers but kind of a good little tune-up game for poor Zengis and moving forward um i think the wizards offseason is going to be something interesting to talk about, but we've got plenty of time for that. Beal's still hurt. Beal's going to stay hurt. And um, I don't really see maybe the Wizards work their way into like the play in tournament, but even at that point, I don't, I don't really see them playing into the playoffs. But that said, um, you got some teams that are really, that are really surging. You got some teams that are kind of falling um, in an interesting way because I don't think any of the teams that are kind of, you know, that are that are falling. They're not like falling out of playoff contention. They're not really losing seeding right now. It's just a very interesting thing to watch. I think the NBA is as deep as it's ever been and not as top heavy as it's ever been, if that makes any sense. I think you go to the playoffs and I think if you look at the East, realistically, you probably call it a five horse race with um with Philly, Boston uh, Milwaukee, obviously, Chicago, um, and Miami, who's leading the conference. So I think, you know, like I said, I think it's a five-team race there. In theory, I guess you could throw in the Nets. If uh, if Simmons comes and, and, and shows up and plays, and then the whole Kyrie can't play at home thing. So um, I think you have to cross them off just because you, you don't get – Kyrie for home games, but um, and it doesn't sound like that's really changing uh, in New York. So 
yeah, I think it's a five horse race, but a five horse race is crazy because usually every year you give it to, you know, one or two teams. Um, and then in the West, I mean, you look at the top six and so you got Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, uh, Utah, Dallas, Denver, and with Denver potentially getting uh, Murray and Porter Jr. back for the playoffs, uh, you can't ever really count out the Lakers. I don't think anybody would ever discount them. They've got to make it through that play-in tournament, but I don't think anybody would discount the Lakers. But either way, it's like six, seven team race out there. I mean, if you ask somebody today who they think is going to the finals, I think every, everybody – would say the Suns. I think they just play the best, you know, cohesively as a unit. They're very efficient on both both ends of the full both ends of the floor. But everybody else has a playmaker that's gonna make you sweat. I don't think they, you know, depending on who that eight seed would be, they probably get out of the first round relatively easy. But I don't think they have an easy series the rest of the way. Um, so I think the playoffs are shaping up to be awesome. Now, that said, you've got some teams that are really surging. Like I said, um, Boston, first and foremost, I think they're playing some of the best basketball in the NBA. Um, Tatum's going crazy right now, and and they're kind of doing it without that big. They haven't really had the big, but you have two stars in Tatum and Brown, and they're just playing really, 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 really well right now. Miami's kind of staying at the top. The Sixers are playing really well since the Harden trade. And, I mean, it's it's hard to anoint a winner and a loser. But in the short term right now, that trade looks awesome for them. Really, really awesome. Harden's playing well. When Harden's happy, Harden's great. I mean, I don't know what goes on with that guy. And I know that, you know, team chemistry and you got to get along with the guys to a certain extent and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, he's playing well when he's on, he's on. You pair him with Embiid, who is probably the MVP. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. Miami matches up well with them. So I think that would be a hell of a series if we got that in the Eastern Conference finals. Um, I think Boston would be a great series too, but I, I they don't have an Embiid stopper, truthfully, so I think Philly would take that. But, um, and then you look at some other teams, and it's like, well, you know, the Bucks and the Bulls, like they're kind of there, but they're not. It's like you think they're they're kind of sliding, but the Bucks are six and four in their last ten. They just kind of like don't wow you like they did last year or even the year before. So you, you kind of, but they're still a three seed. They're still playing good basketball. And then you've got the Bulls who they play really well against bad teams and they play really bad against good teams. They haven't won a game against a current top three seed in either conference. I think um, I think teams over 500, I think uh, you've got, I think they're like 10 and 18. Um, so, I think the Bulls are frauds. I think, especially if they stay matched up with Boston, I think they get, I think they get bounced uh, first round. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think the East is just really interesting. I think it's going to be anybody's game. I think we're going to need a lot of six and seventh game, seven game series. Um, it'll be interesting. 
here's I was looking today and um, the Sixers and Boston are the only two teams who have winning records against teams 500 and above. The Sixers are 15 and 14 and Boston's 14 and 13. Like everybody else is just, I mean, everyone's hovering around 500 except for, you know, in those top six, everyone's hovering around 500 except for the Bulls. They're 10 and 18, like I said. But, um, like, that just leads me to believe we're going to get a lot of really tightly contested series. Um, It's going to be a fun playoffs to watch, but it's anybody's race there. Like I said, um, in the West, you've got, you know, um, well, I guess I should say going back to the East too, the Cavs and Raptors are both kind of like falling off. Um, the Raptors have been without Van Vliet for a little bit. They don't really have, they're just missing that something and they're a good team. They'll make the playoffs, but I don't think they're giving anybody trouble. Um, the same with the Cavs too. I think the Cavs are really good. I think they've got some budding stars. I think they put together a nice team there, but they're, they're falling over there. You know, last last ten or so games, they don't look great. Um, and then they were missing Darius Garland and some guys in their backcourt. I think Rondo's still hurt, but again, they're they're kind of missing that special something. They're missing that playmaker. Evan Mobley has been awesome. He's he, he's probably rookie of the year. I think there's going to be some conversation on that at the end of the at the end of the year, especially if they kind of fall back to that 500 area. But um, the Cavs have been very fun to watch, but we'll see what happens with them. But again, I think if they get matched up with a Milwaukee or a Philly in the first round, I think um, I don't know that they get swept, but I don't I don't know that they cause anybody any problems. Uh, maybe steal a game, but then you go to the West, and here's where it gets interesting because you have um. You have five teams with 40 wins, and then Denver has 39. Um, and then Minnesota, they're 37 and 29, and they're playing really great basketball right now, too. So you've got pretty much the even the Jazz to to a certain extent, the four through seven seeds are playing awesome basketball. The Pelicans are actually playing really well too, but it it's like they're they're not really stacking the wins. Um, if that makes sense, they're being ultra competitive. They, they look good on paper. And then, uh, you know, something like last night happens where they've got the lead, they blow it to Denver and then they lose in overtime. Um, but they're going to be a team that's, they're going to be interesting to watch down the stretch too. But point being the four through seven seeds are really surging. Um, Denver looks great. Denver's another one of those teams though, where, they just they're beating up on all the bad teams and then they're 11 and 19 um when they're playing a team above 500 i guess make that 12 and 19 after they beat the warriors tonight um the b team warriors though they the warriors didn't play anybody moses moody had 30 for them which he should get more minutes but i don't know where those minutes would come from um they're unbelie- unbelievably deep um but Denver's Denver's trending up. They're gonna get Murray back. They're they're saying they're gonna get Porter Jr. back too, but we'll see. Um they're they could be a sleeping giant in the West. Um especially if I guess with Golden State's loss tonight, they dip to the three seed. So as it stands right now, you'd get Denver versus Golden State. Draymond's supposed to come back, but 
it, it, his health is really dependent on on what Golden State does in the playoffs. Um, they're one of my fallers here, actually, because they're just not playing well. Um, there's no way around it. You know, Curry's Curry's doing his thing out there, but he can't kind of do it all. They're they're really deep, but they don't have anybody to fill that Draymond role. So they're in a weird spot right now. They got a lot of guys that are that are good role players, good rotation guys, but they need that gritty rebounder down in the post. They need Draymond essentially to lock lock people down in the post, kind of distribute the ball and offense to. Um, nobody else really does that. I guess you could you could argue that like a, a Moody who went off tonight because no one else was playing, you could argue he could kind of fit into that role, but I, I don't think he gives you the same on the defensive end of the ball. I don't, I'm not sure that he's quite the rebounder, obviously, right now that Draymond is. So, yeah, I just don't know who you plug in there. Um, Kuminga, Kuminga looks good, but then he doesn't. He's got his peaks and valleys, too. They're just very inconsistent, wildly inconsistent, which leads to bad basketball down the stretch, and then they lose these games. So, But then there's, they're still holding on to the three seed, um, which is why I say this is so interesting. You know, the Suns without Chris Paul – I don't want to call them a faller because they're still doing well, but they they don't they don't look they're not winning as convincing as convincingly. They're winning games, but they're not you know they're not blowing teams out. They're not doing the things that they were doing with Chris Paul. Um, and then you have the Grizzlies, who are like this model of consistency. They go out, they play hard every night. Jaw's going to lay it all out on the floor, and it. it I was looking. Um, so they're they're twenty two and ten at home, and they're twenty two and twenty two or twenty two and twelve um, away from home. So they don't play unbelievable at home. They don't play unbelievable on the road. They're just they're the same team. They go out and they they win at the same clip, and then uh, it's the same with uh, their record versus winning and losing teams. Um, funny enough, they're twenty two and twelve versus teams 500 and above and they're 22 and 10 against teams below 500 so it's like they're the same team they go out they play hard you pretty much know what you're going to get from memphis night in night out um i think Ja is unbelievable which kind of brings me to my next point of you know some of the stars that i'm really like watching right now but um you've got the three guys I was going to mention are Ja, Jokic, and um, and Luka. I love watching these three guys play night in and night out. They can take over a game. Um, ja, or I'm sorry, Luka and, and Jokic kind of play that distributor facilitator kind of role too at the same time. And But they're going to get theirs. They're going to shoot at a high clip. They're going to take over games. Um, but like out of the three – Ja makes you go wow every single night, multiple times a night. He's flying through the air. He's going to the rim. He's making these these highlight reel plays. That buzzer beater the other night, um, right before halftime, was was absurd. The guy just goes out there. Like I said, he lays it all out on the floor, and the team kind of embodies that. And it's nuts. Um, obviously, you know, I, I wasn't alive for this, but I you could to a degree. You can kind of draw a comparison to, and and, and don't call me crazy, but um, 
Jordan's like 80s Bulls before Pippen got there. Um, he's this high flyer. I'm not saying Ja is going to be Jordan by any stretch of the imagination, but like he's this high flyer. He makes you go wow. He plays hard both ends of the court. I think obviously MJ was a better defender, but the Grizzlies are still pretty good in all the defensive metrics. And like I said, they go as Ja goes, right? Um, so I start looking and again, MJ's MJ's in a different stratosphere, right? But but the comparisons to the teams, I think you can draw them. I think so they both they both win rookie of the year. MJ averages 28 in his first year because he's literally the only name that I even recognize on that roster. Um, so he had to score 28 a game. Ja had a little more help. He had uh, he had a, a, a Valanchunas. He had, um, you know, a Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson. Those guys are still kind of, you know, blossoming and things. But Ja averaged 17, um, and he had a really great rookie year. They, so they both win rookie of the year. They both, um, the Bulls end up being, I think, the seven seed. Um, yeah, the Bulls end up being the seven seed, and they lose in the first round, three to one to the Bucks. Um, ja averages seventeen, almost eighteen a game, eighteen and seven, wins Rookie of the Year, and they go to the play-in tournament down in Orlando because of COVID. Um, and they lose that game to – they end up losing the play-in tournament, so they don't get in, but they're still the nine seed. They're very competitive. Then um, then you get year two, and I guess here's where, it, here's where it gets kind of interesting because you get year two, and Ja kind of takes – Ja kind of takes a step, right? Um, you get – let me see. Ja gets Ja takes a little bit of a step. He averages 19 and, and 7, but the team sneaks into the playoffs and they they go up against uh they go up against the one seed Jazz. And then but it but everybody was like, oh, watch out for the Grizzlies. They're a trendy upset pick. They're a trendy upset pick. And then they go and they do lose four to one, but uh, they take game one in Utah, and everybody's talking about it. That was kind of the, the Dylan Brooks game, but but Jaw still had, you know, Jaw still got his. Um, and then they go out the next game, and Jaw puts up 47. Um, you know, you, you look at this, and, and then Jaw has 28, 23, and 27 the last three games of the series, and they lose those three games. But, like, they were in those games, if you guys remember last year, with – uh, with Jordan, he was hurt most of his second year, and then they do sneak into the playoffs. They have, uh, I think they drafted Charles Oakley, so they've got like more of that defending the, the defensive presence. Um, but they get swept by the Celtics, and of course, you know, at that point, you're going to get swept by the Celtics. But um, that was, uh, I don't want to call it Jordan's coming out party because obviously he won Rookie of the Year. He he went off, but. He realized, like, I got to do this myself. He scores forty nine in game one. He scores six. He uh, game two was the sixty three point double overtime game, um, and then they drop game three too, and um, so they get swept. But now you've got year three, and 
I guess here's where obviously Jordan starts to break away a bit, but it's the year right before they get Pippen and he, he goes bananas. Um, he scores 37 a game, but uh, they go and they go to the playoffs again as an eight seed because they don't have anybody else. And and Jordan had to, was like willing his team to victory. And that's kind of how I feel about Ja this year. Ja's averaging 27, so 10 points less a game, but he's got more help. He's got Jaron Jackson. You've got, um, you know, Dylan Brooks is playing. You've got a Steven Adams kind of playing that that Charles Oakley role, if you, if you want to call it that. He's he's not really scoring. He's just playing defense and grabbing boards. But, like, you've got a shooter in Desmond Bain. The team is better overall, but he still doesn't have that second star, and he's willing this team to victories. And Jordan still got swept out of the first round. So, again, I'm not sitting here comparing Ja to Jordan. Two different players. Jordan's best of all time. Ja is is balling. He's great to watch. He's fun to watch. He's appointment television every night. And then, I mean, the big difference is, like I said, the team, the Memphis overall is better. They're the two seed right now. They're kind of jockeying with Golden State. I imagine they're going to get the two seed if, if Golden State keeps sliding, but Draymond's set to come back. So we'll see how that works, shakes itself out. Either way, I think it's, it's a very, I think it's a very, honest comparison i think um i'm curious to see how they'll add to it but both teams were kind of irrelevant nba franchises before these guys got there right um i can't really name a chicago bull pre-jordan and you had the mike conley zebo marcus grizzlies that They'd make the playoffs every year, and that's that. And they'd make the playoffs every year. And then they go home because they, they they didn't have that guy. Jaws, like, revitalized the city. Michael did that, obviously. Um, so, I'm just, really, like, uh, you, you put these two guys side by side, and their stat lines are, are completely different, obviously. But, you know... Um, both in the MVP conversation. I don't know how Jordan didn't win MVP in 87, but it went to Magic, you know, Showtime Lakers, whatever. I guess that's the difference between, you know, a one seed and an eight seed. But Jaws in the MVP conversation probably won't get it because you've got guys like Embiid and, and Joker and all, the, and all that. But, man, like, he is appointment television. And I love the Grizzlies this year. I'd love to see a... Um, I'd love to see like a Memphis Phoenix. I mean, at the end of the day, the Western Conference uh, playoffs are going to be awesome. If Denver gets uh, if Denver gets Murray and, and MBJ back, I mean, you guys all remember Murray in the bubble. The Jet, you can't sleep on the Jazz. Mitchell's great every night too. Go Bear. So, point blank, I'm having a great time watching the NBA. I think. Um, I think I think Jod's awesome. I I, I think um, if you don't watch him play, at least catch his highlights on Sports Center. Like I said, he's putting up 46, 47. I think he just set the Grizzlies single game record for points. He just goes and gets buckets, and it's so fun to watch. So I wish they were on national TV a bit more, but you know that happens with TNT and the Lakers and the Knicks. Um, so yeah, I, I love the NBA right now. 
Um, I love basketball right now. So uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk March Madness when we come back. Okay, so we're going to talk some March Madness. Um, it is upon us. The conference tournaments have already started. Some have already finished. We've got some tickets punched, um, and then a lot of the conference tournaments are going to go um, final the rest of this week, um, all throughout the week. So keep an eye out. Uh, ESPN usually hosts most of them. You had some CBS Sports stuff. So um, if you're a college basketball fan, I highly recommend tuning into these games, um, especially – the small schools for your brackets. Uh, I know it's not everybody's favorite to watch, but the small schools can be fun too. I watched, um, was watching some games tonight, and you had uh, you had the Chattanooga Furman game for the SoCon title, and it was an unbelievable game. Um, Furman Furman tied it up uh, right before overtime. They go to OT. Furman doesn't miss a shot in overtime, and they lose because they go down. They get a uh, they they grab a layup, grab the lead with two seconds, four seconds to go. Chattanooga inbounds it, uh, shoots a, a quarter court three, and bang, they win the game. They're on to the tournament, and Furman goes home sadly. Um, had another game uh, in the Colonial. You uh, UNCW was playing Charleston. Um, two guys, uh, Sims and Underwood. I don't know anything else about those guys, but they took over the game. Um, it was fun to watch, and it came down to the last possession. It came down to a – was that a blocker charge? So a fun, exciting basketball. We've got five tickets punched to the big dance right now. You've got Murray State out of the OVC. You've got Longwood in the Big South. Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean are dancing again. Um, Georgia State. And then Chattanooga, as I mentioned already. So it's fun, man. It's going to be a really great week. It's going to be a really great few weeks watching watching all the games. Um, off the top of my head, I think uh, it's interesting because I think there's like there's five teams in my brain that I think can win the title. Um, it's all chalk, obviously, but uh, but the, they don't play in terribly tough conferences. Um, I think Gonzaga has all the pieces to win it all. Whether or not they put them together is a different story. They have the pieces every single year. Um, Arizona, uh, they are phenomenal. They're a phenomenal team to watch, but the Pac-12 sucks. Um, they're, they're always on late. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to watch them, Benedict uh, Mathurin, and if I'm saying that name wrong, if I'm butchering it, I'm sorry, but he's extremely fun to watch. That being said, I, I know who he is. He's a great guy, uh, great Great, great player, fun to watch. He makes that offense go. They've got blue chippers all over the court too. Um, Auburn's been phenomenal with Jabari Smith. Uh, he's going to go number one in the NBA next year, NBA draft next year, as he should. Uh, if you haven't watched him, and if you're an NBA guy, you need to uh, turn on Auburn basketball this week. Kentucky, um, I think Kentucky, who's also in the SEC, obviously. Um, they're back on top. Um, Shibway is probably going to win player of the year. He's a double-double machine. Ty Ty Washington's awesome at the point guard position. As long as long as they can stay healthy, which has kind of been a weird problem for them. They've got um, they've got Obi Toppin's little brother, too, Jacob. Uh, just a really fun team to watch. Coach Cal's back. But we know his tournament woes, so we'll see, we'll see how they do. And um, as much as it pains me to say, 
I I do think Duke at their best can win it all. Sadly, I don't want them to. I hope they get bounced. I hope they they completely flop after just like they did in Coach K's last home game. All that pressure. They're just kids. Whatever. Fuck them. Fuck Duke. I hope that uh, I do hope that they they fall flat on their face. Um, I can't stand that team. Hate them. But at their best, they're very very good. Uh, that said, the ACC is not very very good. The ACC is probably the worst the ACC has been in in quite some time. Um, I guess if you look at like a two year stretch because they weren't all that last year either, um, especially with Duke being bad. But again, that's neither here nor there. Um, the SEC though. You know, Auburn, Kentucky, that conference is deep. Um, they've got some really good teams there, too. So I guess three out of the five top-notch programs, uh, you know, Gonzaga, Arizona, Duke, at their best, they can win it all. If they flop, um, they, they're not they're not going to do it. Um, Gonzaga was up. Gonzaga was, had a 20-some point lead this evening, and – they started to blow it, and then, of course, to blaming the refs, the foul shots, and it's like, no, you got complacent. You think you belong here, and you caught a 20-point lead against San Francisco, which you should, and uh, which San Francisco could be a tournament team too. I, um, I think they're on the bubble. It's really going to be a coin flip there, but they're a good team. They're a very solid team. Their guard plays awesome. They've got uh, a kid that can shoot threes, so – they they almost blew that game. So if they get complacent, if they think they're just going to walk over some you know eight seed in the second round. Maybe not. Maybe they won't. Maybe they catch a feisty like um, I don't know. I'm looking at Joe Lenardi right now. He's got TCU, San Diego State. San Diego State plays great defense, and TCU beat Kansas and took them to the wire um, another time. And they took them to the wire, I think, um, in in Kansas. So you know. It, some of these teams, like I said, the top five at their best, I think, can win the title. And then you've just got like a long list of very good, above average teams that all have a flaw. And that's why that's why we love March Madness, right? Um, <clears throat> you're going to get some bid stealers, hopefully not too many, because there are some teams on the bubble that are very, very good. Um, you got a Memphis team. Uh, they, they sent Amani Bates home. And all of a sudden, they rattled off like eight of nine wins or, or eight in a row, something along those lines. And they just took it to Houston the other day. They could win their conference title, which, you know, obviously that'd be an automatic qualifier there. So, but they're on the bubble. Um, you've got some other teams on the bubble that are very good that can make some noise. So, again, I hope we don't see a ton of bid stealers, but but we'll see. Um, but, again, you've, you've got some crazy teams. You've got – uh, an Alabama team who you have no idea who you're going to get uh, night in, night out. Uh, they will – they've beaten Gonzaga. They've uh, they've beaten, I think, three of the four Final Four teams from last year. They beat Baylor. Um, I think the only one that they still have to play is UCLA. Uh, but everybody else they beat. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense. They lost, But then they'll lose by 20 to like – the second worst team in the SEC. They make no sense. Um, Arkansas and Tennessee have been unbeatable at home, but they've looked very human on the road. Uh, you've got a team like uh, Texas Tech who they play great defense, but if they go cold shooting, they're they're not going to win games. Um, 
LSU kind of the same way. Play really good defense, but if they if they're not shooting well, they're they're gonna lose. Um you have a team in UConn where if Sonogo's on the floor, they're fantastic. He pulls their offense all together with his post touches and and he bullies people down low. And then when he comes off the court, they again very human. They, you don't really know what's going on there. They're not very cohesive. Um, Providence and Wisconsin have been great all season. And then you look at something in Ken Palm, and and they're two of the luckiest teams in the nation. You know, bounce balls bouncing the wrong way, uh, 50-50 balls, things like that. Maybe maybe you can attribute that to hustle, to, to team cohesiveness, but, um, you know, in chemistry. I'm a big fan of seniors and senior guards in the tournament. But, you know, you match up against pure talent, sometimes you're not going to win. So, again, it, it's, it's going to be a very interesting tournament. You've got um, – a team like Illinois, they clinched a share of the, the Big Ten title in the regular season. They've got Kofi Coburn, Trent Frazier, Coburn, uh, or uh, Andre Cabello. So they're deep, too. And you you have all these teams that can make noise. I mean, UCLA went on that miracle run last year, and they've just kind of looked regular after bringing back all five starters. So you look at a team, you look at these teams, and, I mean, again – we call it March Madness for a reason, and the one seeds are going to be the one seeds for a reason. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, the Big Ten, and and then you look at the, the, the conference breakdown. The Big Ten, they say there's going to be eight teams in the Big East, seven. And then it's, it's crazy because when that happens, when you have teams like that, the Big 12 and SEC, they both say are getting six teams in. In, in all reality, anybody can win those those games, especially like um, the SEC comes to mind because, as I mentioned, Arkansas and Tennessee have been absolute machines at home. Uh, Auburn as well, if I'm not mistaken, I think they have one loss at home, whereas the other two might be uh, undefeated or one loss at home in conference play this year. And then you put everybody on a neutral court, and you don't know what's going to happen. This is for the conference tournaments and – the uh and the big dance neutral sites mess with people man you and then you're kind of you're out of your rhythm you're not really going to class you stay in these sites all weekend i'm not saying it's a hard life by any stretch you're you're a student athlete and you're going to go play basketball for a few weekends in march which is awesome but it's a different environment for the kids you get in your routine you you know you go to sleep you go to class you go to practice you get on the bus, you go to games, you you know do homework, whatever. You party, you got your routine. Now you're kind of like you're locked down for March, and this is where that senior leadership, senior guard stuff really comes into play. Guys that may have been here before or that that are hungry. Hey guys, like shut up. Yeah, lights are out. Ten o'clock. Like let's get straight. Let's let's wake up tomorrow. Take care of business. No no screw ups. Um, and that's where people get upset too. Because you might, or you might have a, a senior-laden, motivated team that just won their conference title, uh, and and you've got a, a Villanova team. I don't know. Villanova always plays well in the tournament, but let's say they don't this year. Let's say they walk in to that game that day, thinking, "Ah, we got this," and they get they they lose a game on a buzzer beater, or they just look bad, shoot bad. Um, 
Villanova is very human this year. Like I said, the Big East, the Big East could have seven teams according to this breakdown in the in the Big Dance. And I think, I don't know, is it a, in all reality? I mean, Georgetown and Oregon State won their conference tournaments last year. They were both, I think, they ended up being twelve seeds in the NCAA tournament, but they were bad all season long in in conference play. It's the best time of year. If you like basketball, tune in. I mean, most people, most people I know, they watch college basketball, but a lot of people don't start watching till right now. It's the best time of the year. Do it. Tune in. Um, low key, uh, the Mountain West has been a very good conference this year. Colorado State, Wyoming, Boise State, San Diego State, all very good teams. Um, if you can catch a few of those games, tune in. That's going to be fun to watch along with the rest of the, the conference tournaments. Um, going to be very intrigued to see who makes a run. I think some teams need a, f- a few wins to shore up their resumes. I think if uh, some teams get bounced first round, I think they, they might play themselves right out of the tournament. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully we get some magic again. It's always fun when teams start to make a run. So um, <clears throat> tune in. Uh, like I said, I think you're going to have most of your big conference play. Uh, most of that's going to pick up early rounds probably either Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on how big the conference is and depending on if their final is going to be on Saturday or on Sunday. So big week ahead. Tune in. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Uh, tweet them at me. Text me. Whatever you got to do. Um, but thanks for listening today, guys. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your friends to to subscribe. Tell your friends to follow uh, the accounts. Mostly active on Twitter. Uh, I'll still post the blogs to Facebook, try to put up some more Instagram stories, but um, follow all the socials, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you soon. Washington's on your side It must be nice It must be nice To have everybody on your side It must be nice It must be nice To have them Washington's by your side It must be nice It must be nice